Liz Sumner, and this is I Always Wanted To, the podcast where I interview people who are doing things that others long to do. What have you always wanted to try? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm speaking with two women I admire greatly, poet and artist Lynn Horsky of Boxborough, Massachusetts, and poet and teacher Helena Scharf of Ripalta in Le Marche, Italy. Welcome, ladies. Thank you, Hi. Liz. I have invited you both here to talk about getting your work out into the world. My belief is that there are many people who write poetry in, in private, but may hesitate to share it with other people. And I know that you both have made that transition into making your work public. And I think your experiences will be valuable to others. So tell me, how did you get started? Lynn, let's begin with you. Fortunately, I was in a community of artists and poets here in the small villages of New England. And I met a woman who was a poet who began a uh, plan air poetry group. She started this group and invited me to participate. And because I have a background in graphic design, I was able to become the publisher of our literary uh, venture. Mm -hmm. And so we've been doing that for six years and <clears throat> we walk around the farm. We get a theme each year. And this has been a great structure for me to write more poetry and have a, have some type of goal that gets me inspired each year. Uh, and we're, we only write one or two poems then, but <clears throat> because of the momentum, I've been able to write more. And that's been a real, a real blessing. So community support and a do-it-yourself attitude. We uh, since then wrote grants and our, we get community grants from the local cultural council for our work. And so that's been really and not a lot of money, but it does pay for the printing and uh, a little bit of money for editing and layout. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just a great way to get a public audience. And that's kind of broken the ice. I'm more willing to go to poetry readings and read my poetry. So that's also been a real helpful thing. So you didn't do the, the public, the poetry slams and stuff like that before you started working with this, the, the group at, at Oh, that's true, that's true. I, I did a lot of poetry slams uh, prior to, to this. Yeah, I, in Cambridge, there were, a, there's a lot of clubs that do uh, spoken word performance poetry and um, I did participate a lot in, in those because they were really exciting and there was a lot of youth and, you know, a fertile ground for growth and expansion with, you know, hearing how other people express themselves. 
And it was much more of a dramatic, uh, biographical form of poetry. And I, since my poetry is a little bit more inward or uh, sound and sense oriented, it was kind of a transition to go into the oral spoken word from the written analytical kind of editing that I grew up with. It was, it was, it was a real growth experience to do that. And it, beca- it, it did get me to be more confident. I, I'm going to probe further, but let's, let's turn to Helena and, um, and tell, tell, tell us, Helena, how you got started. I'm not quite sure of the question, how I got started in poetry, always written poetry. As far as putting it out in the world is concerned, I think you'd probably describe me as hermetically sealed. (laughs) Um, I didn't share my poetry with anybody, not even my husband, my partner of 40 years, and um, except for perhaps one or two, Uh, But he knew I was writing, uh, and that's about it, really. And I kept it for myself, and I justified keeping it to myself, saying this is purely cathartic, I don't need an audience, thank you very much, Uh, I'm fine. And basically, I suppose, about eight years ago, and I was in my mid-fifties, and I really cannot remember, I wish I could for your audience, I cannot remember who suggested YouTube and that there were sites on YouTube where people were recording their poetry, recording themselves reading their poetry and putting the actual text of the poetry out. And I thought, why not? And It wasn't this sudden urge to be public. It was just, it wasn't an urge to publish. It was just something to do, something different, a little experiment, a little bit of fun. And so we started filming me in my kitchen, surrounded by all the kitchen utensils and mess, uh, (laughs) reading my poetry, which I can never remember by heart from my handwritten texts. And we put it out on YouTube. I was extraordinarily lucky. There was a chap um, also writing and reading his poetry on the same YouTube site, who was acting as kind of um, protector, godfather, for all new people coming onto the site and promoted their work and got people who were coming to the site to uh, look at poetry and read it, um, to look at my work as well. And he helped me get an audience. And he is, was, is, was living in Seattle. Is he still doing this kind of of work on YouTube? I don't know, Mm. is the answer. I really don't know. He was, he may well be, name's David, I can't remember his surname, but he may well not be. 
he was a little bit volatile, volatile in the sense that he drank a lot. Mm. I actually sent him a bottle of whiskey for his birthday once all the way to Seattle and it arrived and he took a film of himself reading a poem one morning and drinking the bottle of whiskey that just <laughs> which was lovely, absolutely lovely. Um, but it is a little bit worrying at the same time. So I, I can't say that he's still there. Okay. So it sounds as though, Helena, you had a clear starting point about when you felt comfortable sharing your poetry. Was there a clear one for you, Lynn? Or are you, are you just a person who has the confidence to put yourself out into the world? Well, I'm not... I'm not all that confident at performing, but a short poem or reading my poem, I was willing to, to uh, project a, my persona as a poet. <laughs> so I've written poetry all my life as well, and really a lot in high school and never thought about performing it, but I had a bit of rabble-rousing sentiments at a certain time in history. <laughs> Not that I don't anymore, but, and, and that kind of propelled me into the arena. Mm -hmm. um, so that was my subject matter at the time uh, got me into the poetry slam world. I've really been pursuing my visual arts now that I'm just working part-time. So where did you find venues? Where, Lynn, you live near a, a large metropolitan area, and I'm sure that Cambridge is fairly kind to poets, um, but Helena, were you, in, you, you weren't in, in London at the time, were you? No, we were living in the countryside outside London, on a farm, which we were also running, a livestock farm. And I knew perhaps two neighbors who were also farmers. I dared even begin to ask them whether they were interested in poetry. <laughs> um, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? But um, <laughs> I think some people will understand what I mean. Um, and I was probably prejudiced in, in thinking that. But mm -hmm. um, no, through the YouTube site, I uh, linked up with another poet or two in London who were doing karaoke poetry oh. Oh, wow. in at venues in London. And I partook in that and met them and my son uh, came along to a couple of them. That was, that was really gratifying. And then, and he was really supportive and very surprised. <laughs> um, it's difficult because my poetry doesn't really communicate easily verbally. And it's not like rap, which is immediately attractive. Um, mm -hmm. It's a wonderful format, which I can't do. Uh, but it's immediately attractive to audiences um, in cosmopolitan areas, I think that's particularly. But you just, I, I didn't have a problem facing the audience 
I didn't have a problem with their polite patience whilst I was performing. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't do it very often. I did it once or twice. It was the experience mm -hmm. more than anything else. The biggest satisfaction I think I can say that I got was linking up with another uh, female poet in California who was writing poetry, wonderful poetry, of a genre not dissimilar to mine. And I really admired her work and told her so. And fortunately, she had to make a trip to England, uh, another part of England, but uh, we met up and I met her family. And, and then she came to visit our farm. And when we moved to Italy, she also came to visit us here in Italy uh, with a friend of hers. I'm planning a trip to California actually in the next two or three years. And I hope to visit her then there. And we send emails to each other very occasionally as well now, just saying, you know, where are you on YouTube? What are you doing? Why aren't you writing more? <laughs> and just trying to, you know, kick each other up the backside basically <laughs> about writing and give each other a boost. And that is quite amazing. I call her my virtual friend. People say, oh, virtual friends, mm, you know, it's all a bit weird and uh, dangerous. But this was just marriage made in heaven, really. Mm. That inspires me to want to get on YouTube. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so what would you say to somebody who, about the, the value of having a community of other poets? Well, it's been invaluable to me. I'm also volunteering with a group. Robert Creeley, who was a famous American poet, grew up in the small town next to me. And we have a foundation that every year we pick a national, uh, nationally known poet or internationally known poet to get the Robert Creeley Award. And we have an event where we uh, work with high school poets. And I just published a book of poetry for high school uh, that the high schools, about 35 to 40 high school students all over the state of Massachusetts enter and uh we have we do reading and we judge the poetry and we hone it down to eight finalists and then we publish all their poetry and one or two tie this year we had a tie but one or two get chosen for the student award and so that's been a really great sharing because we share our poetry with the high school kids and the poet that comes, the nationally known poet. We had Mark Doty here this year, comes and he reads to the high school and they have a workshop and uh, he selects books for the library. So that's another community kind of event that keeps, keeps me interested in poetry and community, so. Yeah, there's, there's many ways of, of supporting each other in the arts, which is, 
you know, the little grants we get are so minuscule. Uh, they come from the lottery here in Massachusetts. Um, but at least there's a little bit of reward we can give the kids to inspire them to continue on with their poetry. And that, that, that's really encouraging to hear how that, that poetry is alive and well in, in your region. I, I, I think of it as, as something which, in, certainly in the U.S. education system, it, it might tend to get lost. Yeah. Um, I think in New England, because of our background with many famous poets mm -hmm. here during in various generations, makes kind of a difference in all the colleges here. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, um, of course. Yeah. So there's there's interest. Yeah, there is a, a kind of a revival of interest in in poetry here, which makes, you know, with the little clubs, with the poetry slams, and also at open mics where people play music and folk music, they also have poetry. Mm -hmm. So sometimes my husband and I go and he plays the guitar and then I'll re read one of my poems. That's cool. Yeah. So. Um, Helena, how about you? What, what's your experience been about having a community of other poets? I mean, what, what would you recommend to others to know about having a community of other poets? I, I must say I am quite envious of Lynn and her community and in awe of, of, of the input that she puts into it as well. But I have to say that teaching, can I go to teaching? And because teaching poetry, I found in Britain, in my experience, and obviously it's very limited, Teachers tended to shy away from teaching poetry. They were afraid of it. Perhaps they hadn't been taught well. Mm -hmm. um, I've taught children who, the first thing they will say to me is, well, Miss, you do realize we hate poetry. <laughs> um, and you, you battle against that attitude. I love teaching poetry. I encourage the teaching of poetry. I encourage children to read it, write it. And since I've been on the, since the YouTube experience, I've no fear of introducing my own poetry to children and saying, look, I can do this, you can do it too. Wow. Um, I've no fear now of sharing my poetry with my friends. So I'm not looking for big audiences, but just if you can touch one, two people, and encourage them to read more poetry and perhaps even write some, then, you know, it's, it's, it's um, micro science, if you like, as opposed to macro science. Mm -hmm. And that gives me a great deal of pleasure. And I have encouraged children to write. I worked for an organization in uh, England called the Hospital School Service, where I went out to children's homes to teach them uh, individually because they weren't well enough for whatever reason to go to school and I always got this we hate poetry um, <laughs> never put me off and I can say to a man they were all writing poetry at the <laughs> end of my period with them <laughs> um, and, um, and I see every time I take on a new student a new class I see it as my duty, I suppose. I was going to say my goal. No, it's not my goal, it's my duty 
to infuse them about poetry of all ages and all types and to get them to write their own as well. And it's not difficult. It's, it's not a difficult barrier to break. And once kids have got through it, they are amazing. <laughs> They're just amazing. <laughs> that is wonderful. I, I'm really inspired to hear you both talking about this. What else would you tell somebody who was timid? People who are, oh, no, I could never do that. What, what words do you have for them? I'll start with you, Lynn. Well, step across the void. <laughs> <laughs> I think that each person has a wonderful story and a signature of, and voice of their own. And I just encourage self-expression in any way as a release from kind of the everydayness of life and to be able to step outside and get some fresh air. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know how else to encourage people to be bold and to find, you know, to do what they want to do, even though it's a struggle and a challenge to do so because it's so rewarding to uh, have the freedom uh, once you gain the, some skills at it and the pleasure you can have in framing your thoughts. And, you know, a lot of times writing poetry, I will just spew out onto the page, you know, just just write, 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 like automatic writing. And then I go back and hone, what is it that I am really trying to say? And how to get that kernel and how to, how to shape it and how to actually say it so that it's understandable and it crosses over into the universal, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I think, I think it's everybody has their ways of writing. I actually never learned. I never took a course in writing poetry, but I took a course in reading poetry. And I have several favorite poets that resonated with me, their, rock, their rhythm, their sentiments. You know, so having, reading a lot of poetry is also a wonderful way of, uh, of learning. So I, I'm going to come back to you about your favorite poets in just a second. But uh, Helena, do you want to say anything about to somebody who might be timid? Yeah, for me, one of the most inspiring things was a quote from Ian McEwan. He was being interviewed about something he'd written in a book. And the interviewer said, well, what does this mean? And she said, well, I just write the novels. It's up to my reader to decide what it means. <laughs> That's their job. <laughs> Fine. That suits me very well indeed. Thank you very much. Don't worry about what you've written. You've written it. It's yours. Mm -hmm. You own it. But every reader will take from it what they want. 
And just an example of what readers might want from your work. And also as an example of don't be afraid of anything because it really can't, nobody can harm you just because you've written the poem in any way, really. I wrote a poem called Rain Woman, which I put out on YouTube, and it happened to mention Wellington boots. Well, I suddenly started getting hundreds of hits from men in Asia and the Far East. <laughs> and it wasn't until somebody quite savvy, much more savvy than I ever was, pointed out to me that it was all to do with the Wellington boots. <laughs> yes, it's a bit mind-blowing, but it doesn't hurt me. I felt no pain <laughs> and nobody was stalking me physically. That's fine. I can live with that. <laughs> That's great. So back to you, Lynn, on favorite poets. Who, who would you recommend that, that somebody begin with? Well, I'm an American, so I was raised on, I love, love Elizabeth Barrett Browning. And I love Emily Dickinson for her experimental way of writing and her twists, her ironic twists. And I love Theodore Retke, who is a uh, poet, a modern poet from the West Coast, from, from Washington, who had a very close connection with nature. And his father ran a greenhouse and he had lots of observations, deep observations and metaphors about nature. And I loved the rhyme and the rhythm of his writing. And then I wanted to read a lot of female poets and Anne Sexton, who was a kind of a crazy lady, but she wrote great poetry, deep, you know, Jungian type poetry of her troubled uh, psyche and she also used fairy tales as as vehicles to express her own coming of age and coming of consciousness and then i loved gary snyder who is a kind of a beat poet and he was a zen buddhist follower and a nature person who lived up in the mountains and and I love his poetry it's very sparse and very Japanese mm -hmm. I followed the beats when I was in uh, high school and read you know all the novels of Kerouac and I and Ginsburg was also a real beacon of light in my youth. Um, uh, Helena, how about you? Want to mention a few favorites? Yes, I mean, I could reel off a list. I mean, poetry is a, kind of like a professional thing for me. So, you know, I, I, I have to admit it, I actually don't read a lot of poetry on my own. But I mean, I do have favorites. I like Dylan Thomas, I like Philip Larkin, I like 
let's be American, Sylvia Plath. But I mean, I don't want to reel off lists. I would say, yes, you need to have some sort of background in, in reading poetry and understanding the basics of how it's put together and knowing some of the poet, the great poets. And I think that's, that's actually quite important. But I see poetry in everything. Mm. And, if, you know, when I'm reading novels, there's poetry there sometimes. There's, there can be poetry in a newspaper article sometimes. Mm. Mm. There can be poetry in some graffiti sometimes. Mm. And to be very mundane and banal, when I, sometimes I'm, I, I come across parents of children who don't read very much. And they say, to, they say to me, what can I do to encourage my child to read? And I say, get them to read anything. It doesn't matter. It can be the back of the cornflakes packet at the breakfast table. <laughs> Just get them reading. Poetry is all about words and words are everywhere. <laughs> and you, they will start cropping up in your face once you become aware and it's that awareness that you need to click into as perhaps having your favorite color your favorite color is blue and suddenly you see the blue everywhere mm -hmm. and i would say don't worry about not being educated mm -hmm. in poetry just begin to be aware of the power and the value of words and putting words together and seeing them everywhere. That's fabulous. I, it, it's, it's really inspiring to hear the passion that both of you express when you're talking about the, about the poetry. Ladies, I, I thank you so much for your time and your thoughts. I, I think this is going to be very valuable to anybody who's been thinking about putting their work into the world. I'm Liz Sumner. Reminding everybody out there to be bold, and thanks for listening.